Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know, JT, the brick was wandering through the stadium, interviewing celebs, yeah, doing everything. Now he's he got a lums up on the air. He got back from the Hall of Fame. The man works 24-7. JT, what, what have you got? It's the JT and Looney podcast. Episode 96. Good to have everyone. It could be tough. Uh, we could be putting out oil fires or trying to get people out of Kabul, but we're yes. not. We're just talking about sports and life and our friendship together as the podcast continues to grow. And we thank everyone on the Believe Podcast Network for everything they do for us. And we also want to thank our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor, Bet Online, where you should go to win money today, whether it's live bets during games or futures. Who you think is going to win the championship of any sport? Bet online has all the latest odds, news, information, futures, all your online sports betting needs. You got to check out their website today. It's a really cool website, a great layout, the way they have it. Will it will make your mouth water? It will encourage you to bet. If you're not gambling right now in your life, it's advice you may want to add. Visit the website today. Use your mobile device if you want. Join now, and if you're friends with JT and Looney, you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, even if you don't like JT and Looney. That's me referring to myself in the third person. I'm Looney. Hi. You can get 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Perspective, perspective, perspective. Yeah. That's what you always have to keep in life. Even when we're going through pain, uh, we have to put it in perspective compared to other people's plane, uh, pain, as you've seen, as people try to crawl into planes and, uh, and leave their country, which has got to be one of the toughest things any human being has to, uh, ever has to do, voluntarily or involuntarily. And even when we have pain in life, it's a blessing to exist. So we always have to, even in the most macro sense, we have to think of it that way. That's a really good point, because when you're climbing on a cargo plane to try to get out, knowing that you're going to die because you cannot stay on the cargo plane when it gets to 30,000 feet. Yeah. But you're that horrified to do that. That was that was really another 9-11 moment for me. It really comes back. My son was born in May of 2001 before 9-11. Now he's in college. He's 20. This war in Afghanistan is 20 years, wow. right? Give or take 20 years. Yeah. We're coming on the 20 year anniversary on 9-11. And you see the scenes from that airport. And it's, it was so chilling to see that mixed in with all the other you know, terrible news that we've been, it's been tough to watch the news lately. I mean, it, really difficult to watch the evening news. Problem is most people in this country don't watch the evening, evening news. Look at the ratings. They don't see half this. Stuff. Oh, yes, I know. And you, you still watch the evening news like it's 1977 with dad. Yeah, I, and... I like to see how nervous David Muir is. I like, to know, <laughs> I like to know his level of nervous. David Muir is always nervous for us. He's always nervous and worried. And well, since people don't watch the news anymore, remind people who David Muir is. You never used to, have to remind people who anchored the nightly news, yeah. but you have to now anchors the abc world news tonight which is my go-to used to be growing up the cbs evening news with dan rather and we'd find tom brokaw over over at nbc and you remember there was frank reynolds was on uh, abc for a long time and then peter jennings peter jennings so david muir your anchors now are david muir on abc lester holt 
He's very good. I like him. uh, And Nora O'Donnell on CBS. You're good. You're good. I I would know those growing up every single time, even back to Roger Mudd and Connie Chung. But uh, I don't watch network news anymore. So I watch what we do is we we DVR the evening news because I go on the radio at seven. And I usually watch it between 6 and 6.30. Everyone's like, do you prep for sports? Do you prep? Oh, my God, what do you do? No, I prep more than anyone. I watch sports. Unlike the other guys who don't watch (laughs) sports and their writers have to text them what the score was and what happened in the morning for their three-hour pre-show meetings. I watch sports all the time. So I like to watch the evening news. And David Muir gives us a good 16, 17-minute block with no commercials out of the gate. Then it's a commercial story, commercial story, commercial story. That's why... We DVR it, and there's always a storm. There's always a earthquake. I mean, 1,600 people died in Haiti as of now, and the number goes up. We're not talking 60 people dying. Again, what is up with that country, Tom? Uh, And, you know, we were on the air the the last time they had one. I think it was 2010. I took a look at the year because at the time, we had a producer who had relatives in Haiti. And so it was even it was it was personal. Yes, a personal. And, and, and he and I were texting today. We're still very good friends. And we always thought, you know, we are all cousins. We all you know, came from Adam and Eve. We we're all cousins in one way or another. And we always we fought like cousins in a wonderful way when we worked together. And God, what a great. And, you know, if you've ever known anybody from an island or uh, who has roots in an island. Philipp- I have Filipino friends, friends from Haiti, uh, the, the, the Dominican Republic, and uh, they have a different sense of time. <laughs> different, I, I think it's from being on an island, a complete different sense of time. People from Hawaii and uh, than the rest of us in America. We gotta be on time, gotta be on time, gotta get there at nine, gotta get there at nine. And what a wonderful, loud, fun person he is. And if, if as the people in Haiti are half as wonderful as he is, then it's got to be a wonderful place to be, and your heart goes out to people. Well, it's kind of a common thread what we talk about with Afghanistan and Haiti. It's people who can't get out of those countries. I mean, I people would love to get out and have a better way of life and not live in poverty or not live under a certain government, and they can't even get out. And oh, that and was Af- weird about. You know, Afghanistan has no water. Did you know that they're the only country that has to import all of its water? Well, I, I thought that-, that was just Vegas where I live. In like, <laughs> in the I just thought no, it was Vegas like- that we have no water and we not- buy it from somewhere. I didn't know that. It's not just, it's an undesirable piece of real estate. Anybody who ever wanted it, though, ran into some tough bros in Afghanistan. They don't want to let go of their country. And a lot of people have tried over the centuries. The mighty Soviet Union just drove out after 10 years, and we did after 20. And what's fascinating about it, and this is why our forefathers didn't want party politics, because we people will tribe up, sometimes with blinders on, whether it's the character of a candidate or the character of a principal. And the the invasion of Afghanistan, you know, to build a Western friendly, you know, to stamp out terrorism, find Osama bin Laden. But with Iraq and Afghanistan, it was also build a Western friendly a democracy, which sounds really utopian, sounds like a good idea to us. And it's a very liberal concept. But because Bush came up with it and he had all those 60s and 70s political science professors who wanted to stop promoting dictators and maybe promote the people and democracy and it would be better for our our uh, our foreign policy 
And so, but it was a very liberal utopian idea and liberals were against it because it was Bush and conservatives and Republicans were for it because it was Bush's idea because the people, people didn't even stop to think whether it was a liberal or conservative idea. We just tribed up. And, uh, and so it, and obviously it was a bad idea. Well, and, and it, uh, it's one of those things where I, we mentioned this, uh, we used to talk about it on the air cause it was going on the entire time we were on the air that a Western friendly democracy sounds like a good idea to us and sometimes to them. But then just because of cultural differences, when they realize that means your mother or your sister or your wife can walk down the street in a thong. And then they just say, no, 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 no. Give me that Islamic Republic back. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't work that easily. Well, I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, we're not a war podcast and we don't debate. Right. No governments and all that. But I will tell you, they could wait us out. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. We can come in there with tanks and B-52s and build bases. And all they do is, is get in their caves out. and hide out and wait us out. They did that with every other war. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to be a fucking democracy. OK, they don't want to be a democracy. They hate us. I'm talking the Taliban and Al Qaeda right. and all that. So we're not going to change their mind. OK, we're not going to win them over and give them gold and riches and bring them to our side. They're just going to lie and wait us out. And that's what happened. Well, here. Here's another thing, too, is they don't want to shoot their own people. Even if they have people that think it's a good idea, we've trained the army. They don't want to fight against their own people. And so uh, so they gave up easily because they don't want to shoot their own people. But we should have been. We have generals from West Point, Tom, West Point, who are trained. I'm talking not about just the general military yeah. best in the world. I'm talking about our leaders, our generals, our colonels. And they all have boardrooms and they all have conference calls and they all could have figured this out. And it, it oh, no, they couldn't. That's and, the problem. That's why we left. <laughs> right. That's why we sit here in amazement that they couldn't figure this well, out. But, but remember, you you always talk about Chicago. Yeah, we can't, can't figure out Chicago. We can't figure out Chicago. Can't put a net around that neighborhood. Can't put. Can't, we can't find a way to figure out that. It, one it's our own culture. It's our. You know, blacks have been here four hundred years. Whites have been here four hundred years. It's definitely a kind of a black and white thing going on in Chicago. It's not between blacks and whites, but it's still we can't figure it out. It's within our own culture. It's not a strange religion. It's not a religion that's foreign to us, where there's lots of different factions of Shiites and Sunnis and Sri. No, it, it's Chicago. Uh, all pretty much Christians, and uh, we can't figure it out. So That's why they we... call it Chirac, because the, the similarities yeah. to it. And, and the last yeah, thing yeah. on this topic is that this goes back to Reagan. It obviously goes back to Bush one. It goes to Bush two in the war and when we were attacked. And then it goes to Obama, obviously. And then right. it gets yep. into Trump and, and I finally Biden. And again, I'm on the home team here. I root for America. What right. happens now... Yep is the country is so politically triggered on social media. If we didn't have social media and we didn't have social media 20 years ago, right. you wouldn't see half of this divisiveness. You'd know there was divisiveness, but you wouldn't see it. Right. You wouldn't see it every 30 seconds as your phone refreshes. So what's happening now is I pull for the home team, which is the United States. I don't care who the president is. I never woke up a day in my life caring who the president of the United States was. I could care less. I root for us, right. the home team, like I do at the Ryder Cup. And, you know, at the Olympics, <laughs> yes, you know, I yes. could never root for a foreign golfer. It's the same thing here. And all we needed to do was to get the Afghanis out who helped us. That's the whole moral. We were getting out. We need to get out. They're going to fight. It's going to be crazy. 
they're going to take over every region of Afghanistan. We knew that. We had months upon months to quietly, remember, quietly, not putting up, we'll be out by September 11th, not giving the Taliban a calendar, giving them a calendar like they give out at the grocery store saying, here's the circle date when you guys need to race, race to get to Kabul because we're saying, we're telling you what we're going to do and how we're going to leave. They raced to get there. We didn't think they could get there in time. And now there's chaos and innocent civilians who helped us, helped our government and country are going to get slaughtered, going to get killed because they can't get out and they're going to be given up and they're going to be exposed. We should have had them out of there three months ago, quietly on cargo planes, setting them up for their heroicism here in the United States of America. The precious wisdom of 2020 hindsight. And you left out the guy who started it all. If we, if we start the blame game, and there, you know, the list is long, but George W. Bush, it's his idea. The way we should have gone after Osama bin Laden is the way Obama went after Osama bin Laden. We should have just done it, done it with our intelligence agencies, not with boots on the ground. It's not 1942. Putting boots on the ground was dumb. Uh, we can find the guy without putting, we, we just have suits on the ground is what we normally do. And we have people that slip into that culture and dress like that culture and speak the language, pay off people from that culture. It's a big bribery culture. And we, we found Osama bin Laden the way we should have found him with ever, without ever putting boots on the ground. You mentioned Reagan, and I have to give Reagan credit, so push record twice. <laughs> and that is his policy in, in the Middle East was to stay out, cut and run, get out. They blew up our barracks in Lebanon. He said, okay, that's too complicated over there. He brought everyone home and never did anything else in the Middle East ever again to, uh, for the rest of his presidency. And it's um, it's too far away. The culture is too different from ours. Uh, it, it's a classic mind your own business. Mrs. Kravitz type of foreign policy that sometimes we need to have. And uh, this was this was one of those cases when uh, when the wall came down and the Soviet Union fell apart. Uh I remember we had a sports guy at Fox Sports Radio that when Reagan died saying, I'm going to tell you how Reagan ended communism more uh, coming up. And I thought, why are you out of your mind? It was Eisenhower and Kennedy and Nixon and Ford and Carter and the Pope and Lech Walesa. And so many people deserved credit for slowly chipping away at the Soviet Union, not just one guy and Reagan. And uh, George Herbert Walker Bush is, as well deserves some credit. And uh, we got it when it comes to blame or it comes to credit. There's a long list. And same thing in Afghanistan. Uh, and you're right about some of the blame that goes right now. Uh, but, but as Biden says, it, it was never going to look good. And uh, we had we had to get out of there. There was too many boys like me are growing up without a father like I did. Because their dad was over there instead of here right. and, bu and building a school for someone in Fallujah instead of uh, instead. And now we've got it. One of the reasons we've got to in, uh, make this investment in infrastructure is because of travel and the Internet. And people can see around the world that they've got 800 mile bike paths in Norway. We don't need fucking bike paths in the United States. We haven't invested in the infrastructure, anything cool to make people love their country here in 20 years. We've been in a war. And so we uh, it's and you've traveled, too, and seen all this stuff and all this nice 
uh, parks and places that people all over the world have. And our parks are crumbling because we built them in 1940. Well, again, I just think it would have been nice to get those civilians out and get everybody out in an orderly fashion. That is just like anything yeah. else in life, how to get people in, how to get people out. And there should be people who can plan it better. We failed miserably on in every part of this, Yeah, on every part of that. And it's sad and it's just going to get worse. Any way you look at it, Val, Val Kilmer. Oh, oh I got a new documentary about the life of Val Kilmer. And I'm fascinated. As a matter of fact, I'm going to watch it again. Uh, not to ruin it for everybody, but go see Val on a Prime, Amazon Prime. Val Kilmer's got throat cancer and obviously has a throat a hole in his throat and he can't talk. So he has to put his finger over the hole to talk. So it's very alarming as it as the movie opens up and you see that his son, his son is going to do all of the talking. He goes into a studio and he speaks in the voice of his dad, which is brilliant. Right. It's brilliant because yeah. you assume he sounds like Val. He's invested. This is his dad. And Val Kilmer was such a great looking man. I mean, this guy was one of the best looking actors in the history of motion pictures. And now because of his health deteriorating shows him traveling the country and signing autographs. But one of the great lookbacks, the youngest ever actor ever at Juilliard. Think of that. Juilliard, where all all these actors are trained at the right. highest level. He goes in as the youngest with Sean Penn, Tom Cruise, Kevin Bacon, everybody that he's acting with. And he was the guy, the first guy ever to have a video camera. So he videoed everything every day around the clock. He would never put the camera down. Mom would say, Val, put the camera down. His brother, his friends. So he had all of this video that is so rare. And the documentary goes back on his life, his decisions, his mistakes, the great movies he were in. And he's got the background of all of it because he was recording all of it. It's brilliant. Isn't it amazing that uh, the uh, precious wisdom of 2020 hindsight, which I was, you know, which I'm always fascinated by. You were talking about what we should have done in Afghanistan. Uh, I, uh, hindsight is a precious wisdom. And so many of us, uh, have probably thought this generation won't think it. We should have had our cameras around more. It's fascinating that he did that. And there's a tie in with me as well. And I started it and uh, I haven't finished it. But, uh, you know, I don't know if my voice sounds more like my my grandfather on my father's side or my grandfather, on my mother's side, because my grandfather on my mother's side had throat cancer. And I never knew what his voice sounded like. He would talk like this. He would force air up through his diaphragm so he, so he could speak, but he had no voice box. And uh, so I have that connection with this as well, in addition to, you know, being interested in show business and movies and people who pursue what they want to do for a living like this. And if you do what you love, you live a long time. And hopefully Val still does. My grandfather lived decades and decades after his throat surgery. And it's, um, you know, one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen was also that was called uh, Capturing the Benjamins. Capturing the Freedmans, Capturing the Freedmans. And it was a family who a father and a son had a, a tragedy and an arrest and an awful thing happened in their family. But they always had a camera on 
So it made the documentary brilliant. And same thing here. Yeah, I mean, this this documentary is about the ravages of cancer and some of the issues and the troubled course of getting through a career in Hollywood with all with all the obstacles and the family obstacles. Val Kilmer lent money to his dad. That ended up really, really ugly. He turned down some incredible roles. I love the fact that he was auditioning for the greatest directors. So he wanted to be in Full Metal Jacket. So he just got into character and went out into rivers and acted like he was in the military in Vietnam. And he was sending tapes to Stanley Kubrick. And he went all the way to Stanley Kubrick's town in London to try to meet him to get a role and. He was wow. on the short list of Goodfellas, the role that Ray Liotta got, and he auditioned Whoa. for that. So Whoa. all of this, and then he was smart enough to walk away from Batman. He was the second Batman, remember, behind Michael Keaton, before George Clooney, and then when they finally got it right with Christian Bale, and he hated the role. The movie was commercially very successful. He did the movie. He couldn't even move in the suit. He couldn't talk. He hated it because he was such a brilliant artist. And they offered him. The oh, after my that, God. The next one. You can't imagine the money they offered him. I I, I, I didn't wealth. think of that. But right. That's got to drive somebody who went to Juilliard. Nuts. Yeah, I mean, it must. It's like Brad Pitt working in that uh, El Pollo Loco chicken outfit. You can't even see how good looking he is. Val Kilmer uh, must have hated that. That's and funny. then the, the, the beauty and the glory of Tombstone, where he played Doc Holliday, which right. I think is his greatest role in. Again, this documentary, because I hope you watch it, but most people I don't you know, I don't care if you tell me a little bit about a movie. I'm going to see it or see it anyway. But uh, in the death scene in Tombstone, he had them lay the bed out with ice, just a wall of ice so he could lay on the wall of ice and turn white and get into the pain of dying in the character. I mean, this guy invested in these roles and then the ending was pretty unique, but it was good to knock out an interesting documentary. I've always been a fan of Val Kilmer. And I had no idea about the throat cancer in this. So it was kind of sad to see a guy who should be in his prime doing the greatest roles of his career right now. Yeah, he, he can't do anything. Yeah, he signs autographs at Comic-Con, which is nice. And, and he still engages with his fans. But it's kind of sad. A couple of things that uh, a couple of funny stories that that sparked. Uh, the Doors. He did the movie The Doors. Yeah. He played Jim Morrison. And I made some money off of that movie. I was an apartment manager in Venice and they needed to use my roof. And uh, I was I, I was an apartment manager for an owner who I never met. And uh, who got the building by default and kind of didn't even like the building and didn't even like owning it. And. <laughs> so they wanted to put some lights on the roof over the weekend. And so uh, I negotiated with them. I think it was $5,000. And I said, now, the owner of the building wants to avoid taxes on this. So make that check out to Tom Looney. <laughs> and uh, so I made some money off. Of, thanks to Val and the doors. I made some money off of that when I was a young hustler. And you were talking about Val loaning money to his father and having issues there. Quentin Tarantino did a recent interview. I think it was with Joe Rogan. Did you hear about this interview? With no, Quentin I didn't. Tarantino. And so when Quentin Tarantino because was... Because I'm trying to get our podcast to be worth $100 million. I don't have time with my two radio shows to dive in to Joe Rogan. I'm trying to get this bleeping podcast up and running so it explodes and when someone offers us $100 because it's better than 98% of the podcasts out there. We just got to have people download it and share it. 
That's part of my brilliance. I had to drop in the name Joe Rogan. So I, like, I knew it would. You should have his job ring announcing. Yes, you're I better. Know. Not that Joe isn't good. Joe's very good, but you're better. He is very good. And our podcast, I think, at times is better. But, uh, you know, Spotify is not offering us $100 million yet. So Tarantino, when he was growing, he was writing screenplays in sixth grade. He was writing. He would hand them in as projects for any anytime there was a writing project. He would hand in a screenplay, and the teachers were thrown by it. And one day, his mother got upset with him, and said, "This is the end of your little screenwriting career." And she put it in air quotes and chewed him out about all his screenwriting. And he was very young, eleven, twelve, thirteen, when she did that. And he said to himself, I'm going to make millions as a screenwriter someday. And when I make those millions, she's not getting it like everyone else who makes millions. She's not getting the house. She's not getting the car because of that little rant. And she, he was like 11 or 12 when she, when she did that rant. And when he grew up, she didn't get the house and she didn't get the car because of that awful thing she said to him when she was a little boy. And he was writing screenplays as a child. And he did help her once with the IRS. She got in a little tax trouble. So honor thy mother and thy father. It's biblical. So he didn't sin there. He did give her help when she had IRS trouble, but didn't buy her the house and didn't buy her the car. So, uh, you know, so say, say kind things to your children when they have enormous goals and they're 11. Speaking of family, I wanted to spend a moment and thank my wife. She did something that was so amazing. I had a Raider preseason game this past Saturday night. I'm part of the broadcast, and I can't get it off. It's You can't get the day off. That's right. the day I have to work. First and only preseason game in Allegiant Stadium. So my wife checked my son into college wow. as a freshman at Arizona State. The level of guilt to not be there. I did it with my first son at Oklahoma, and I couldn't do it, and it was check-in day, move-in day. So my wife loaded up the truck, loaded up our Suburban, which she was giving to my, we're giving to my oldest son. And she drove both boys from Vegas to Tempe, checked my youngest into Arizona State University as a freshman, and then spent the night and then got in the car with my oldest and drove from Tempe to Albuquerque. Jesus. Spend the night in Albuquerque, then got up the next morning and drove from Albuquerque to Norman, Oklahoma. Okay, we're talking about eight-hour wow. drives the whole way. Then got him settled in his new room at the fraternity house where he got one of the best rooms. She shopped all the toiletries, got him all the bedding, the new stuff that just happens to disappear when you're in college. It's I not know. <laughs> and now she's flying back as we're recording this podcast. And I got to tell you, I got the best wife. She's into sports. She's a great mom. She gives back to others. And what she did is I sat back and – interviewed celebrities and was at a game with <laughs> Carlos Santana and doing all that. I, I got to give my wife a lot of credit. She really came through for our family and pulled one out for us. And we have to give Brent Musburger a lot of credit. He said your name. We're going to make sure I include it in the podcast. And so uh, Lincoln, that was great. But I see that, you know, JT, the brick was wandering through the stadium, interviewing celebs, yeah. doing and everything. Alumni, now he's he got a lums up on the air. He got back from the Hall of Fame. 
The man works 24-7. Hardest working you. man in show uh, business. Yeah. Hey, Impressive. JT, what what have you got? Uh, I tell you, we up. got post-game coverage off of your great call on the victory. I saw every inch of this stadium. <laughs> so I got some good stories coming in. But, again, guys, great post-game show, great night, and it's always a pleasure to follow you guys up. Uh, that's great. Thank you so much, JT. What a great job you and the whole gang do on the Raider Radio. It's what is it like you grew up as a little boy watching the NFL on CBS with Brent Musburger, Irv Cross, and Phyllis George, as did I. And I do remember when, you know, when I took an introductory to public speaking or whatever it was, some class in college, some elective, because I studied political science in college. So when I do talk about politics on the radio or the podcast, you don't have to tell me to stay in my wheelhouse or stay in my lane. It is my lane. But nevertheless, a teacher said, name somebody who's articulate. And then he said, Looney. And I had to think fast. And I said, Brent Musburger. (laughs) It must have been football season. And I got to tell Brent that story at Conseco Fieldhouse when I was there covering the Lakers and the Pacers in the 2000 NBA Finals. And Brent loved it. What is it like having Brent Musburger say your name? Well, it's great because he's the voice of the Raiders and doing the pregame show. I throw it to him, and then when he's done with the broadcast, he throws it to me. I think that's what you're talking about. Yes. You know, before the game, I haven't seen him in a while. I hadn't seen him the whole offseason, and I congratulated him because VEASAN, Vegas Sports and Information Network, that's the gambling radio outlet that he is part owner of. They sold it to DraftKings for $75 million. I have no idea what Brent made, but he better made a lot because he was the face of it. Right. There's a lot of good people behind the scenes, so I saw him. And I congratulated him, and he had the twinkle in his eye, and he said, hey, I saw him. He listens. Well, that's the thing that I'm most excited about. He hears my show on Sirius XM. On wow, really? Yeah, wow. because listens on that, and he, that's okay. a, he listens to radio that way. A lot of people listen to radio that way and not the old terrestrial network way of preemptions. Your guy's on that night, but the right. angel game went late. So we had a nice conversation, and then you know I had a busy game. Uh, this preseason game because they asked me instead of working the sidelines which i normally do and brett would throw down and say touchdown jt what did you see they had me in the crowd they wanted me to interview during the game everybody who was involved in building the stadium okay i had six end game hits that were on the big jumbo giant jumbo screens all over the stadium so it was cool really unique and Diplo, the famous DJ. I had to go into their nightclub. There's a nightclub in the end zone. Wow. Diplo, one of the biggest DJs in the world. I interviewed him. We did a little contest and interviewed the artist, Michael Goddard, who did all the art. The difference between Vegas Stadium and SoFi and Jerry's World. Well, Jerry's got a lot of art, too. But the Raiders Stadium has all art. And no one saw the art for a year. Beautiful art. Oh, you're right. Imagine a stadium, a cavernous stadium empty. So I interviewed him and the head of the laborers union. I went into a rods. Alex Rodriguez is sweet, but he didn't want to, this diva didn't want to go on the, uh, he didn't want to talk. So they flashed his name. I sat with the gals who won the Olympic gold medal. Uh, well, I mean, that Los sucks Vegas that a rod didn't want to yeah. do it. Oh my God. The biggest he had the hat fan. On. Yeah, uh. I know. He had the hat on. He had the Raiders shirt on. So I did that all. I walked around and Brett noticed it because Brett's doing the game in there and he's looking up at the big screen. So he's right. Sees me doing the whole game. So when I came back to do the post game, he had some kind words but to answer your question. I mean, that's the backdrop of my youth. He gave Al Davis. He interviewed Al Davis 
when the Raiders won the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, think of that. He was in the locker room. So Brent Musburger, we call him the godfather. They call him the godfather out here. Just, just nice to be in a room during a broadcast when you can hear and put a headset on and sit behind him and listen to his call. He's a different play-by-play voice. He's more of a TV guy, right? You know, radio guy, but he's still brilliant. And, and the Raiders are lucky to have him because he's a golden voice in sports history. Oh my God, he is. It's one of those voices where you hear it. You know, and a lot of, over the course of our youth too, there were people who got old, Pat Summerall, Kurt Gowdy, and they put them out to pasture. And they, you know, instead, just take them off the first game and put them on the, you know, put them on the second game or the third team. The great keep, and keep them around. You know, Pat Summerall, for years after they put him out to pasture at Fox, I guess he lived in Texas. If the Cowboys had a game on CBS, they would throw him a bone and let him call the Cowboy game on CBS. And you're hearing it thinking, why don't they use him all the time? And, uh, okay, let Joe Buck be the first guy. Let, let Pat be the second or third. And Kurt Gowdy was around for years after they put him out to pasture. Okay, they don't have their A game anymore. Most people don't notice that. So uh, Brent Musburger, and also one of the reasons why they're still alive is because they did what they wanted for a living. They never worked a day in their lives. And when they worked hard, it was much different than a person in a coal mine. And they didn't have to breathe in the air that coal miners do. So people like Brent, he took that play-by-play job for the Raiders. I think he was 78 when he signed the contract with the Raiders. He was 80. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah. He's, still, he's still got a fastball, a curveball, and a slider. Great. One more thing on the Raiders. Big topic. They decided as an organization that fans at home games now need to be vaccinated. It's right. A massive story. Yes. Just want to say Atlanta. That's balls. And New Orleans doing the same thing, but the Raiders are doing it now and they're offering vaccinations. A lot of people are triggered on this. A lot of people are upset by it for obvious reasons. If you bought the tickets to a stadium like this at this price, PSLs, season tickets, and you didn't go year one. Remember last year they had no fans. Right. Buffalo Bills had fans. The Packers had fans. Some had fans. Kansas City Raiders never had a fan at home. And now they're told that they have to be vaccinated. People are really, really emotional on this. I support the organization. I'd support the decision. But they're, you know, it's it's this is a work in progress here. And it just shows you, as we've talked about in Chronicle COVID throughout this podcast, COVID's really bad in Vegas. They were probably gonna take the stadium down. I'm I'm not positive, but they probably could have took the stadium down from hundred percent capacity to fifty percent. So by now making everybody gum vaccinated, they're easily anybody who doesn't want to be vaccinated. There's a thousand fans, not a hundred, a thousand fans who are vaccinated. That'll take that one ticket. So it's not a problem here. It would be a problem for the chargers that don't have 70,000 fans in LA, right? They only, they'd be lucky if they have 20. So the Raiders are going to be able to get away with this and do this. And I think it's a good decision, but I'm predicting here that the NFL will adopt this strategy over the next month if more people don't get vaccinated in every NFL stadium is going to require a vaccination just like for concerts and all this. I've seen this coming for months. Oh yeah, and it's going to and it's going to happen with people's jobs, you know, and the Supreme Court decided this in the 1800s, by the way. Uh, and most people in our culture had never lived through a pandemic before. Uh, and for, um, if you, if you, if your job requires you to get a vaccine and you don't get one, what happens? 
you get fired. And the Supreme Court will back that up. And they did it in the 1800s. And they've been doing it for universities already. Uh, this Supreme Court around the country who are requiring kids to get vaccines or they're not coming back to the university. And so this is just uh, there's you, you can't really fight it. And we are a country, though, that we're uh, rugged individualists and we fought seatbelts. If you remember when we were younger, JT, people fought the seatbelt laws. Don't make me wear a seatbelt. And uh, this is more important than a seatbelt because, you know, you can not wear a seatbelt and just get injured and not die. But you, if, with uh, with a vaccine, OK, maybe a violate you may feel violated. But if you don't get it, you could kill others. And that's a problem. Yeah. I and mean, what the, the problem is now is that we've been doing this oh. going on almost two years. It'll be two years in March and we're here in mid to late August. And right. it's, it's not getting better. OK, it's not getting better, which is alarming to me because of a variant. And there's going to be other variants. And no matter yeah. where you stand on this, the assholes who got this wrong in the beginning, the guys who predicted less than 1000, a common thread from me, not you, which I respect out of you because it bothers me more because I'm taking it that this side of it more personal, that there were members of the media who guessed wrong about this and were rewarded with better jobs or unbelievable. It is. It's the biggest ruse I've ever seen. I, I'm telling you. Who was the one wrong. guy that got the big contract? We don't say who, but what was the number that he said that it would never go over the deaths? Didn't he say a thousand? Didn't a thousand. A thousand. And, and that, that was he was playing number. numbers with life and death, which you is always predict, really. You know, you, Jesus. The, the moral of the story, the lesson to be learned is you never predict life and death. You pick a Bill's Jets game and the over under. You don't pick life and death. Well, anyway, that, that, that hasn't left me. That really bothers me. But now, whatever's going to happen in the future, the only thing that's going to save lives is this vaccine. That's not going to save every life. People are going to die even who are vaccinated. People are passing it. We know that. But what's happening now is we're so divided as a country. The pandemic isn't getting better. The emergency room doctors and nurses who are the only people in my world that matter on this because they're anti-Fauci people now and they're pro-Fauci people. Just talk to a nurse. Just, right. just find a nurse. There's one 10 houses down from you or across the street. Fact of life. And talk to a nurse about what it's like to work in a hospital at full capacity where they can't hire any more nurses and doctors. They don't grow on trees. They don't come out of residencies every 10 minutes. And these people are stretched thin. They are emotionally breaking down. They see what's happening. And then they come out into the real world after their shift. They take their mask off to go home. And there's politically triggered people on Twitter and Facebook and on television and cable news that have no facts and are just playing this as a political, a political game. And I feel for those people, man. And I'm so burnt out on this. I'm so done. Every time you tweet something out, hey, I agree with this or that, you got 50 people saying something heinous about you or your family. Right. We cannot have a civil conversation anymore about COVID. We just got to wipe it out. Or, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. There's nothing wrong with having a conversation in the marketplace of ideas because that's what a freedom and democracy is all about it's not professional wrestling it's a conversation about ideas in the marketplace and all of a sudden it's it's the wwfization or the wweization of 
political talk in America where I got to put you in your place. I've got to render my opponent senseless when we debate politics rather than, you know, we all have to have uh, a number one, a sense of humor when we talk politics, especially when we don't have any influence on policy whatsoever. Have a sense of humor even about your own cockamamie theories in politics as well, because that's the most important thing in life. The most important person to laugh at, the person in the mirror. I've burnt down on this. You know, I love mm. I love communicating for a living. Right. I love this podcast. I love my radio shows. Love talking to you. I'm just I'm at the wall because it's the end of the summer. And now the big task of football season, right? All the work ramps up and the brain cells start decreasing because there's more work and less sleep. And you just see what's happening on the news in the real world. And man, I I just hope all of our listeners, all of our podcasters, I hope you get one more vacation in. I hope now I was going to call you with that and tell you that personally, take another vacation before the season starts. Then I realized, oh, wait. There's no vacation. Yeah, Raiders preseason. (laughs) For everybody else out there, take one more trip to the beach, one more trip to the lake, one more trip, one more hike, one more. It's hard to travel. We talked about it this summer. The trips I've been on, it is hard to travel. The airlines are stretched thin. Those people are working so hard. Flights are canceling. That Spirit Airline debacle a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I I took Spirit back east. I'm lucky. Do you need a loan or something? Are you good? I mean, I know, I know you live in the Looney Mansion. Oh, very well. You're, you're flying uh, Spirit? Oh, yeah, I did because it was unbelievable the deal I got flying in. I mean, did they charge it. you for your toothbrush? <laughs> they charge you for a toothbrush? That is funny because they do charge that. You get this great deal, then you have to pay for your seat. Right, I had to pay to carry something on other than a personal item. So I, I packed everything into the, I went for six days and packed everything into uh, a little backpack that I had because it was going to be nice out anyway in shorts and T-shirts. But um, oh, I, I wanted to know about this. You were talking about, you say one thing about, you know, a vaccine or anything, I, I, and then people say awful things back to you on Twitter. Are you still peeking at what people are saying to you? Yeah. Ah, You can't stop it. I keep telling you, just play. You have more. Your backdrop for Zoom is the the Raiders Stadium. It's unbelievable. Allegiant Stadium. And uh, you have as many followers on Twitter as that stadium seats. So you should just be playing offense. It's more fun to play offense anymore. What are you doing playing defense? I could have 2 million Twitter followers if I was a complete asshole. That's true. The The, the way to get your numbers up in sports is fake debate. Just completely lie. Uh, Pick a side. Just talk about LeBron and you'll get 200,000 more Twitter follows by lying about your opinion <laughs> or just be a complete conspiracy theorist. And the conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's big money right now. Numbers up. And the last thing, when you go travel, do what Anderson Cooper does. It drives me crazy that he mumbles and he can't talk. He's on television. He can't put a sentence together. He mumbles. Um, um, um. You, you always say that. I think yeah, he's so good. But are you- him, him and Jimmy Fallon can't watch because they're professional, professional talkers and they can't talk. But what he does is Anderson Cooper takes all his shirts, the same black shirt, and he just disposes it on vacation after he wears it each day. 
So that's what you should do next time. You better buy a bunch of T-shirts and oh, just wear it in Elmira and then just throw it out at the end so of the funny. day. That's just a so funny. That's so funny. So you won't have to worry about getting on spirit and them charging you for well, your, at least, for your at least, custom Marilyn Monroe T-shirts. At least you use, uh, you know, Howard Hughes used to do that. And uh, the only person we know with mo- the same amount of money as Howard Hughes is Anderson Cooper. Right. <laughs> That you can afford just to, you don't have to take any, uh, any, any luggage with you. Just buy clothes when you get there. That's what Howard Hughes used to do. So Anderson Cooper apparently does, but uh, that's not what I'm doing anytime soon. I'm jumping in the pool. Great podcasting. Right, see ya. Wow. Oh my God. OMG. You've listened to every morsel of the JT Looney podcast. We appreciate that. We are powered by Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.